squad number two is here the hardcore marketing podcast my name is casey cheshire it can't be a fluke if we've got two in the books uh and i'm very excited about this podcast today uh quick note our sponsor is cheshire impact helping you maximize marketing automation and crm bam and uh i just gotta say you know on, on the note of cheshire impact we recently got some branding for this podcast. If you're seeing it now, we didn't have it for the first one, and now we have it. And when I first saw it, it, it like blew my mind, and it and it brought up the idea of: Have you ever worked with a vendor or a partner, even someone on your team that was like an absolute wizard? Because I literally have that experience working with the people at my own team at Cheshire Impact, and and so I'm so excited that actually one of the wizards, in fact, the Grand Wizard, is uh, the, the Grand Poobah is here today. Uh, and I'm so excited to introduce Jesse Fry. Now, his title is a mouthful. He's a director of marketing, of customer success, and strategy at Cheshire Impact. He's also a Coast Guard veteran, which just makes this podcast hardcore as we can get. So, Jesse, welcome. Thanks, Casey. I, I didn't think uh, I'd ever have the word wizard next to my name. <laughs> well, how's it going? How is, you're, you're down south and you've got snow. Yeah, it actually reminds me of my trip up north a couple uh, couple weeks ago to Nashua. Not quite as much snow, but it's just about as cold. You know, and every time you visit, it snows. So I think the, the ski places up here, if they get wind of that, and if it's a low snow season, they'll be like, okay, let's get Jesse up north. It'll clearly snow and block you in here. So, well, hey, let's, let's dive into it. The theme of this month, we, we shared this last time, the theme of this month is segmentation. The idea of knowing your audience before you click, before you email, build something cool and whatever tool you've got, before you start executing, really understanding who are the people you're trying to reach? What are you trying to say? And you know, and we, we say this a lot, but often the question we get back is, maybe they don't even ask it specifically, but it comes up, why? Why is this so important? And maybe it involves telling a negative story and a positive story. But like, Jesse, what would you say? What, what's the big why on why we got to put the understanding of your audience first. Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I listened to the podcast last week with Stephanie, and I know she had some great stuff. So I'd encourage the people to go back and listen to that to just get some context. But I, I think, for my experience, you know, I've, I've worked in a variety of different roles throughout my career, from you know sales to product management to marketing, um, and now being part of obviously uh, Cheshire Impacts as an agency. I think the the one number one reason is most products fail. 95% of products fail, right? New products fail. Why is that? It's typically because companies haven't actually identified their segment and who they're going to market to early enough in the process. I don't, so I think it's, most companies, marketing companies, they're oftentimes trying to figure out who their buyer persona is and who their target market is once they have their product created. But I think um, if you really look at um, the, that percentage of the number of new companies that fail, um, if companies would actually be patient a little bit and actually go back from the beginning and uh, look at that, uh, you know, when they're developing their product and before they develop their products and services, I think that would help companies further along in the marketing process. Interesting. So most companies fail. Definitely the stats are out there. If you're in your second year, you're a fluke. You're in year three or four. You're you're out out of this world. Yeah, uh, and it's because they're not they're not. Maybe they have a great product then. So we're saying it's maybe not even the product. Yeah, maybe, maybe you got a bunch of great products out there. You're just selling it to the wrong person. 
Yeah, I think too, you know, traditional traditional demographics or uh, segmentation is built around demographics, you know, whether it was uh, psychographics, you know, when I used to teach marketing and we right. used to, you know, all the textbooks that are used to teach marketing students across the country and all over the world, they really focus around, you know, demographics, psychographics, lifestyle, belief value system, right? And that's very a B to C style uh, thought process. But the thing that I think shifted is um, because those were the days when big companies like General Electric and, you know, uh, Disney and Coca-Cola were the only ones that could afford to market. Sure. Um, so they could easily say, we're going to target this product to women between the ages of 35 to 55 with this amount of money. But I think that's changing. Um, I think it's changing and really people want to know how does this get the job done? Does this actually help me do my job more efficiently? And even if you think it from a B2C perspective, that mentality can actually still work. Um, so just a thought on that. My, my mind was going back to like the days of Mad Men, right? The, and it's almost like not even marketing, but it's advertising. It's like a one-way projection. And you're right. It's much more of that B2C mind. That right. mindset. You know, maybe we can clear the air on that right away. Just the whole idea of B2C, B2B. What, what's your take on that? Because I think a lot of people get it confused. And, and one of the soapboxes I love to stand on is that a lot of people, uh, a lot of senior marketing leaders or companies hire these leaders that come from the B2C world and they come over to the B2B world and they try to practice the same magic tricks, the same witchcraft. And it just, it's just it's a different game, you know? And so maybe you could just sort of dispel some of the, this is a great, we got like a, a wizard metaphor going on here. So this is perfect. So yeah. Um, you know, I think they, they definitely want to use their magic wand, right? Because they're, that's what they're going to be compensated on when they come over from, you know, their B2C company. Now they're, you know, they see this great opportunity at this large branded B2B company. Um, and from my experience, the, the methods of getting the job done uh, when you're segmenting your market and identifying your buyer still applies. So right. the foundations still apply. But I think when you look at a B2B product, B2B buyers have oftentimes the financial component in the buying decision. Um, so the CFO might be involved in that purchasing part and making sure that there's a return on the, the business or that it adds financial value to the business. Right. Whereas as a consumer, I, I don't really think about that, right? I don't think about if I'm going to buy a, a new back, a MacBook Air or a new, you know, phone. I don't think about how, you know, what financial impact is this going to have on my bottom line long term? And that's a little bit different where a lot of B2C are focused around the lifestyle. You know, if you're selling a, a you know, a mobile widget, you know, to consumers, you know, between the ages of 18 and 55, um, you're marketing to the lifestyle, you're marketing to right. demographics at that point. But in a B2B environment, it's completely, it's so different. You, I, I don't even think you can compare them anymore. You know, and I think a lot of people that spam me can confuse B2C with business to Casey and it, <laughs> it's not it. Stop, mm. stop mailing me. <laughs> But just to clear the air, right? B to C, business to consumer, it's to the individual. And like mm -hmm. you said, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's simple, but it's not as complex as selling to a business. A business, you might have a couple people involved. I once had a, a, a guy who was calling myself, he was calling one of the salespeople on our team and talking to their boss. And there's different people at play, there's different levers, everyone has their own concerns. Consumer side, you know, it, it may be a helpful product, like my, kick-ass Azolo boots, which I love. 
And they, by the way, they're not a sponsor yet, but maybe one day. Um, <laughs> but I love those boots. Um, super practical. Or it may just be one of those things where you see someone running on a TV and you're like, let me go get some ASIC shoes, you know? Right. Um, and it's, it's mu- it can be very emotional. You can get to the different levels of, of psychology, of what triggers someone and the brand the brand hits. But when you take that magic and then you, you come over to the B2B world, I once worked for a company where the CEO, and this is one of those companies where I also don't necessarily name the name, but the CEO, he once asked me, you know, how many emails did we send this month? Mm-hmm. And I actually knew the answer. I was a you know, marketing manager at the time, uh, that, that kind of level uh, person. And I actually knew the answer was about a million. And he said, well, next month, let's make sure it's about a million and a half. We weren't selling shoes. And now if you're selling shoes, it, that can work, you know, an right. additional uh, amount of brand hits, you know, you see it on a billboard, you see it on a Budweiser commercial, like you just see things more frequently, you may do it. I mean, how many of us have seen a Domino's commercial and been like, it's right on my app. It's so easy. Why don't I just, right. I'm hungry for wings now, you know, but you just buy it. Right. Right. But on, on the business side that like, like another half a million emails, to to me or you is going to get us to unsubscribe not to go ahead and pick up the phone well i think the the buying chain and the buying process are entirely different i mean if you look at really the seven uh, buyer motivations right um you look at need you know people buy because of a need in the consumer side people buy because of greed Uh, they want to make more money that's why multi-level marketing companies do really well right because uh, people want to make money make more money Right. Uh, but you can also look at greed from, you know, I'm selling a, a particular app like um, mint.com. If you remember, you know, when they first came out, it was about yeah. how do I save money? Yeah. Um, and then there's a the fear, you know, purchasing fear. If I don't buy this, something's going to happen. But you take that another step level on the fear side of buying motivation. You have, um, you know, um, pharmaceutical companies, and I'll leave off the brands of these pharmaceutical companies, but they sell various <laughs> different pills to based on fear and it could be, I don't want to get a disease or I want, you know, uh, some level of my life to be better and bigger. Um, And then there's uh, pleasure, right? You know, we like vacations and cruise lines, Uh, you're buying on pleasure. That's another buying motivation. That's a good one. I like that one. Yeah. Vanity is another one. Uh, You know, companies that are B2C often sell to women uh, using the same segmentation uh, to vanity because it makes women look good. Um, and men are the same way, right? We're finding that people want to look good. You know, I, I, when we teach marketing, Apple always comes up because they're such a big, well-known brand. But, sure. you know, people used to buy Macs uh, because they look good, right? If yeah. they were carrying around a Mac and sitting there and everybody else had, you know, PCs, that was a vanity type of buyer motivation. And then the impulse buy. You know, that's another buyer motivation. People buy on impulse. And the last one, which, uh, you know, I just recently bought a a new car. And I'm sure that this one, you can, any one of your listeners can recognize is the other seventh buyer motivation is fatigue. Um, When people are in the buying process and the sales and marketing organization are um, invoking so much fatigue in their buying process, they ultimately will be like, ah, I just give up. I'm going to buy. And that's what a lot of people in the um, car industry um, that have had experiences buying a new car, they'll be like, well, they take your keys. That's the first thing they do. That's fear, right? They take your keys away so you can't leave. Um, They do that? Oh, yeah. They totally take your keys. Oh, let me let me. What's the story? So oh, the story, check your car out, right? 
Yeah, they want to check your car out. They need to do, especially on a trade-in. Trade-in value. And they don't bring your keys back. <laughs> you give keys. Them away. Yeah, they take your keys away. So um, that that starts to change, you know, the fear of, oh, my God, I don't have my keys anymore. And then the, then the second fatigue factor that they do in, in motivation of buying is if you keep people there long enough, they don't eat. They don't, uh, you know, they, they got to get up to go to the bathroom and, and they right. can't leave. And eventually they're like, okay, I give up. I give up. I'll buy. And um, so I think if you look at the B2C market, buyer motivation is really applicable. So then you ask the question, is B2C or is B2B any different? And there are some things that are slightly different. And the fear is the first one, the fear of losing my job, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the whole... Um, if you you know the whole IBM thing back in the day, if you but you know if, yeah. I ever bought, if we ever bought IBM, we would never fear of losing our job. But if I bought your product, what's unknown is the fear of I lose my job, right? I've definitely um, heard that the whole phrase of um, no one gets fired buying IBM. Exactly. You think that is that still true? You think? Uh, maybe not IBM um, <laughs> specifically, but um, this is hardcore marketing. So if you want to, you know, start you know shots fired anytime well I, I mean i think that there there are certainly if a new operating system were to come out on the market think about you know think about linux right right when red hat came onto the market there were another five six seven varieties of red of linux um you know windows and unix for the most part had the server business unix had right. the high compute environments and windows had more of the desktop you know, environment. So when Linux came on the market, everybody was hesitant to make a move to Linux. Um, and it took Red Hat, I mean, Red Hat's one of the, you know, faster growing ones on the Linux side, still growing to this day. Um, that whole, you know, it, you'll never be fired if you, you know, if you, uh, if you buy IBM, the, the same concept came as you'll never be fired if you buy Sun, you know, on mm -hmm. the Solaris side or HPUX. So I, I think it still applies, um, but I think now because we have so many new B2B software segments, people are, are less likely to have that mindset because you can change software quickly, right? Uh, you, we see it in our right. space. People, you know, we, we support 100% Pardot, but how many of our clients are coming from other marketing automation systems? They sure. are every day. Sure. So I think because of the ability to switch is faster now. Um, right. So that that's something else to consider is just how do you keep your how do you keep your buyer long term right. right not just how do you attract your buyer how do you keep your buyer and it's no longer once you have them it's no longer about segmentation from a traditional standpoint it's about how do we constantly add new capabilities to our products and services to help people get their job done faster or to get right. it done more efficiently um, right. or to make them look good right you know the whole sure. fear the whole vanity they want to look good to their boss and um but it always comes down to uh, you know they want to get their job done at the end of the day in the b2b environment right you know it's interesting the whole you know you don't get fired hiring x or but then i guess that would be the fear one but you could easily see like the need yeah, yeah. but we need the performance to be able to do xyz and here's our budget and if I do this and I save some money, now we're hitting on need, greed, you know, um, and they're going to fly me out to San Francisco and take me on a yacht. So, you, you, okay, well, maybe we don't have the fear one, or we can counterbalance that with some of these other, some of these other principles. Well, impulse buying happens in the B2B place too, right? Um, if, you have, sure. if your company is growing at, you know, triple digit growth, and you know that you have to do something, sometimes people will buy 
uh, they'll buy a CRM tool or they'll buy a marketing automation tool or they'll buy other software tools out of impulse yeah. because of the immediate need that they have. And it might be the first uh, ad that's, you know, in front of them on LinkedIn um, sure. where they see and they're like, oh, well, that one solves my problem. I make an impulse buy, but that problem might not actually, or that product might not actually solve their problem. It may create more problems because it doesn't align, uh, you know, doesn't align well. So that's the other problem in our market is, you know, if you're not marketing, if you're not putting out your brand in front of people, um, people are more than likely to buy what they don't know. You know, they, they're not going to buy your product. So they're going to buy the product they do see in front of them, regardless if it's the best product or not. Right, man, the seven needs, I'm gonna have to go put these on my wall somewhere, but seven buyer motivations, yeah. buyer motivations. Uh, yeah. you heard it here. Bam. Yeah. Um, so bringing these motivations back around now, you know, we're, we're talking B2B, we're talking that, that complex sale to a business and you know, these crazy guys on a podcast said, you got to do segmentation. You got to understand now you understand some of the need, um, of, some of the reasons why you need to do that. Cause if you don't, I mean, businesses are going out of, out of style quickly. They don't know who they're talking to. The messages aren't resonating. So there's a lot of you know, negative stories that can be, you know, shared. So then, so what do you do? Like how, there's, there's buyer personas, there's all different kinds of elements. How do you see that in your head? What's the ecosystem of, if I say, okay, we gotta, we gotta nail this or for one of our, one of our clients, you know, they need some help with some, Buyer personas, there's some segmentation because it's number one. And again, it's back to that, that CSI, that Cheshire Success Index. We have a maturity model and we don't let you go. It's like, it's like playing Monopoly, but we don't let you go collect that $200 until you make sure you, you know, hit that first step first. So, so where do you start? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's harder now more than ever, right? Um, because there, there's so much noise in the marketplace. Um, you know, the first thing is, Unless you're a new company, it's to go back to who's already bought your product, right? right. Um, you know, unless if you're a startup company and you're developing a new product to service, there is an entire new product development life cycle that companies need to go through. And, and a lot of that is looking at, you know, product categories, where do you, you know, what does your product fit? Um, so you know who you're positioning against, right? right. Because if, if you're positioned against the wrong companies, you're going to attract the wrong audience, right? Your buyer is going to be different. Yeah. Um, and it, it's also, I, I think you have to know how you're positioning your product and segmenting your product by the product itself first. Um, are you segmenting and positioning by price? Um, are you segmenting by function? Um, or if it's, a, you know, we're talking mostly B2B here, um, is it demographics if you're going after B2C? But I think understanding your position is important first before you can jump into your, to your segmentation. But once you look at that, then the question is, is, okay, I'm an existing company. Like we're in the process here at Cheshire, right? You know, we're looking to introduce new services around the sales right. side. Yeah. So do we immediately make the assumption that our, our previous buyers, the ones that have purchased uh, implementation services from us, or the ones that purchase managed services are our ideal customer. Um, we may find that they're not, right? Um, so, or we may find that they are. So interviews. Or a certain group of that, right? A certain sub-segment of that. Yeah, a certain sub-segment of that is important. Um, but also understanding uh, the size of your market. You know, uh, if, if, 
you know, if you're positioning in a particular product category, but the side of that product product category is, you know, the, the potential market size is maybe 30 million, right? But you're trying to become a hundred million dollar company, you're certainly going to have to look <laughs> a little differently, right? Yeah. Um, because you're not going to necessarily get all the buyers in that particular segment of the market. Um, vertical market's another one in B2B that a lot of companies, mm-hmm. um, they, uh, they don't necessarily, um, they don't always look at, um, they, they want to go after everyone. Um, but I'll, I'll give you an example, a company I work for out of Canada, out of Ottawa, they sold, um, video surveillance, uh, products and, and services. Nice. And um, they found that their product was very suitable in the retail space um, initially. So they were selling to, you know, the largest donut company and the largest, uh, you know, uh, retailer in, in the country. Sure. And then they started realizing that the, the problem they were solving, what they were doing is they were doing uh, their product. Again, what job is being done? What problem does it solve? And they noticed that because they were inputting their point of sale system transactions over the video and then doing the ability to search video based on a specific transaction, that that could be applicable to banks. So they said, okay, well, we're really good at retail. What if we look at adjacent markets? So I think when you segment in the B2B space, it's looking at what adjacent markets have a similar problem. And, and would our product or service solve a problem in, the, in, a, in an adjacent market? So they went after the bank market and now they're the leader in, in that bank market. And they, they do, you know, now they do facial recognition at the ATM and they do ATM transactions and, and they do a lot of really cool things. But that all started because it was in the, in the retail space and they will try to find adjacencies across different markets. Um, I so think I think, you, yeah, adjacent's key here, right? Because yeah. You can, if it's not adjacent, and I, it's just a word, but thinking about when you pick a vertical or you pick a new market to go after, and it's completely different, mm-hmm. like, might as well be a different company, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, if you're going after uh, banks today um, and with a specific software product, it doesn't mean that you need to pick uh, transportation and now go after subway systems. Right. Um, it, right. it may not be your product may not solve. So that's why I think when you're doing segmentation in the B2B space, it really comes back to what do people have to get done and how does our product or service help them get their job done faster or at a lower cost? Um, and, and how does it provide a better, better return on their business? And start really asking questions. What does your product do? What does right. your service do? And then if you went after, you know, I, I listened to the podcast with Stephanie and, um, you know, I know you talked a little bit about like titles, right? Not sure. You can't necessarily just look at titles right? because um, my job as a director of marketing may be very different to a director of marketing in a completely different market segment. Right. And I may not do the same job as they do, and I may not have the same problems that they do. So I think it's really important once you segment your markets by vertical is to then start asking questions to the people in those organizations as to what jobs are they doing day to day? Where are their biggest challenges? What takes the most time in their day? Um, what anxieties do they have when they wake up in the morning? Right. Um, so when it, as a product marketer, 
uh, throughout my career, that's really where I focused a lot is asking those questions of, of, you know, what problems do people have? What, what do you do every day? Tell me, walk me through a day in life with Jesse mm. um, and uh, really better understand that so then we can help them. And we can do the same thing now at Cheshire, right? As we're yeah. looking to create new services, we can look at what are the steps that people take when implementing segmentation in their product account sure. um, and, and how can we add value to that chain, that job, to, that job function and make it easier for them to do their job function or alleviate some of their pain and take out 50% of the work that they would do in order to accomplish that. Right. Help them do it. I think you said it earlier, faster or at a lower cost. Right. Um, and you know, titles is funny. Uh, thinking about your title, you're wearing a couple, couple hats, right? Yeah. And uh, your title, my title, you guys go look them up on LinkedIn, but neither of us are going to fit into your, your uh, what, you know, if then this uh, style uh, segmentation, if you look at us by title. Yeah, what CAO actually could come up with various different titles, right? Not just awesome, but there's yeah. a lot of titles that A has, right? Right. Um, and it's even CSO, right? So sure. I've seen CSO used. And if I did a search on LinkedIn for CSO, well, CSO could mean chief security officer. Oh, it could true. also mean chief sales officer. Yep. So very or strategy. Yeah, yeah, chief strategy officer. So very different uh, job. Like, what is the job done by a strategy officer versus a security officer? Very different functions, very different needs, very different right. buyer motivations. Right. Huh. Huh. You know, the, the day in the life convo, it, it ties into, you know, that's some of the, you know, not to give away too much secret sauce, but that's one of the key things. Maybe we can even just talk about that when, when we're working with people to help them find out some of these things. Now, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, is, is it going to appeal to them? Is it going to help you? What do they have to do? What are their needs? What's the job they're trying to get done to help them do it faster or at a lower cost? But finding out from them, you know, directly from them, tell me, you know, what, what does a day look like? Not what is your job title and what, what do they say that you do every day, but what do you actually do? Right. Is it emails? Is it, what is it? Well, I think if you, if you, go, if you step out of the, the role of a marketer, um, and agile, agile is used a lot in software development. Right? Sure. But I think if you, if you try to add some parallels between software development agile and marketing and adding agile to the marketing process, one of the things is creating uh, user stories, right? And, yes. and, and what is the story of a feature? How is, you know, when a developer is developing a feature, the old mentality was we want to create a button on this page that when it does this, it executes that, right? It X, X equals if, then, though, right? And all those, I'm not a developer, but all the typical stuff that a developer would do with agile, it goes back a little bit is it goes back to what problem are we solving? And right. then it looks at what is the job of that problem. So then they tell the story of, okay, Jesse comes into work in the morning and he turns on the computer. And when he logs in, he wants to be able to see these dashboards, right? So a developer, when they're thinking of that and they're doing acceptance criteria as part of Agile, they can say, all right, does the result equal what Jesse's expecting when he logs into the product? Right, And when I do the testing to say, all right, it does. When I log in, the first thing it does is it pops up my marketing dashboards. Well, I could care less if it pops up, you know, uh, my social dashboard because I only look at social once a week. But if right. I'm really looking at 
marketing ROI or I'm looking at how my campaigns are functioning, um, I want that to pop up first. And I think if we apply that same uh, use case in software development to marketing, Mm -hmm. And we ask the question of, let's write down our buyer personas in a story of how the day-to-day life of that person, what does, where does Jesse learn about new products and services as the IT director? Right. Um, is he logging in the morning and going to LinkedIn? Or is he logging in the morning and checking his email? Right. Um, is he going to what websites? Where does he go to learn thought leadership? Um, because then that allows us to really think about, all right, if Jesse is always going to x.com to learn about products and, you know, IT products and services, then that's where he's learning it. But what if Jesse learns everything on LinkedIn? Then we can change the way that we're marketing to Jesse based on what Jesse's day-to-day life looks like. And, and, what, right. and you can't ask somebody, well, what websites do you go to every day? <laughs> but if you ask people, so tell me what a day so looks why, like. Right? Yeah, tell oh, me, yeah. tell me what a day in your in your life. What is, what's the first thing you do once you wake up? Well, I drink coffee. All right, great. What do you do when you're drinking coffee? Well, I usually check, you know, check my email. And what time is that usually? Yeah. Oh, well, that's at six a.m. Well, guess what? That tells me as a marketer. That tells me that I need to make sure that my email campaign has my email in front of them at 6 a.m. when he's drinking his coffee. And if I find that that's common across all people in that type of role and accomplishing that role, then it allows us to think differently in how we market to them. And we're now uh, being part of their story rather than interrupting their story. Right. I think it goes along that same theme of they're actually people at the other end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, and we talked last time, give them a name. I love this, you know, giving someone a name. You, you even said it too, like, Hey, person's name is Jesse or Mandy or Casey or whoever. And here's their actual life, you know? Right. And, Oh, they pick up their kids at X time or these kind of things. But really understanding that maybe you don't want to send your email at four fifty nine because they got to go. Right. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're, they're, they're the kind of person that's huffing it out, you know, or maybe they are a C-suite and they're checking their email at 8 PM every night. So right can scoop something in there, but understanding you're there to help them first. And yeah, I love the idea of the user story because it, and even the idea on the software development side, I, I think when people just say, let's create a button here. And then we do this on websites. I think marketers are guilty of let's, let's go get a lead source, right? Yeah. That, let's test out a lead source. W- w- why exactly we're we doing that. But, but I think what's happening is there's, we're sort of guessing at the user story, right? Let's create this button on this app. Let's go ahead and do this. We're guessing that it'd be great to have this button on this app. But like, if you look at a remote control for a TV now, like Comcast remote has like, I don't know, what is it? 45 buttons on it. Yeah. Feels like a hundred buttons, right? It feels, yeah. And you never use most of them. Like source more, more often than you'd like. Um, But man, there's all these buttons because, Hey, that'd be cool to have this button, but what's the real user story? You know, it'd be funny to do a a remote control. Maybe it'd be good. One of those, um, crowdfunding things, a remote control based on user story, which would probably be like uh, four buttons. numbers um, and mute and, and like source. And that's it. Right. You know? Right. So easy. Your grandma can use it kind of thing. But yeah, you, the story uh, forces you to do a little more work on the reason you're doing that. And I think when you mentioned, you know, where does this particular person get their information? I mean, a lot of times your story was about an IT person. I worked in some data integration companies where the question was always that same idea. Well, where do these people learn? You know, if we put some content out on these these sites over here that offers content for that particular po- 
do they actually go there or do they get their information from ESPN.com? You know, right. like where are they learning uh, or they learn from someone else on their team and they have to go up to them instead. Right. You know, I, I, I used to tell my students when we talk about um, buyer personas and segmentation, um, I always use software development as an, as an analogy because I have experience working with software development teams and launching new software products. And it's always funny when you take a software developer and you put them in a room behind glass and you watch them watch people use the software they developed and they'll be sitting there like, no, no, that's <laughs> not where you're supposed to click. And they have it, it in their mind. And yeah. like, but, that, but, so, but that's a good way of letting and teaching them that, yeah. you know, that's user experience is well, just as important. And I think marketing... Marketing can learn a lot from um, the maturity in IT development. If you look at how IT development has matured over the last 10 to 15 years versus marketing, I think marketing in a lot of ways hasn't matured at the same pace Mm. that some other job functions have in, in the various industries. And marketing, I think, is one of those. And I think we can learn some lessons in um, how do we develop our buyer personas? How do we develop right. our segments? How do we develop our products and services? How do we develop our campaigns and really look at IT and software development um, as a way of creating a new user experience in how we market to people? Um, you know, it's, it's the whole, you hear the argument all the time that all marketing is stop marketing, right? It's interrupt marketing. Yeah. When you go to YouTube today, right? YouTube's changed their, their, their structure and now it's interrupt marketing. They interrupt me while I'm trying to do something. I'm less likely to buy that product or service that's being advertised because you're now interrupting what I'm trying to accomplish. You're not helping, but the companies that have integrated their products and services in movies, uh, sublim, you know, subliminal messages, right. Inside of movies, like a a Coca-Cola can or another product sitting out on the shelf. I think what that's, it's showing that some organizations when they're marketing are getting into the minds of their buyer and creating true buyer personas and understanding how do they want to learn? How do they want to learn about your product? Because marketing is not about just buying anymore. Marketing is about teaching, educating, Mm -hmm. learning. Like, you know, are we teach, uh, you know, philosophy, vision at Cheshire Impact? It's, It's true because that's what we need to help marketers learn. We need to learn that they need to teach and educate and and, um, and grow the maturity of their buyer in order to make their buyer educated so when they make a buying decision, they've thoroughly thought about all the possible benefits of why their product is better than the competitors. Right. Right. You know that you mentioned the YouTube and I had, I just sort of had the shivers because I've been interrupted so much on YouTube that I literally bought YouTube Red just because it was the $12 a month. To, to avoid all the interruption. And sometimes I've even thought, I'd be so happy if a brand was like, look, we were going to interrupt you for 30 seconds, but buy Skittles and we're out of here. You know? Right. Like, oh, thank you, Skittles. Like, okay. it, it, is, is that a pleasure or a fatigue um, buyer motivation? Are you fatigued by being tired yeah. of listening to commercials yeah. and, and frustrated? So you're like, all right, I'll buy red, you know? And people do the same you know thing with Pandora and Spotify. Yeah. Too many ads, tired. Yeah, too many ads. I get tired. I'm fatigued. So I give give up. You wear the buyer down, then you're like, all right, here's my credit card. (laughs) Right. Yeah. The premium model doesn't work for me. Hook, line, and sinker, man. You get, especially if it's the same ad, you know, three or four times in a row, you're like, 
you you want to you can't you can't you know, reach out and tweet somebody i said yesterday last time I, I tweeted something mean at someone that wasn't even mean uh, you can't do anything might as well just buy buy the red and upgrade but right yeah that's that's interesting it, we're a little bit lagging behind on the marketing side really understanding that buyers i think some people I, you know yourself staff and some of the folks we're going to talk to this month are are out in advance like yelling at us all, like, don't go that way, go this mm-hmm. way. And you mentioned the distractions. And I, I remember, uh, I think it's Chief Martech, shout out. Uh, he's got this amazing graphic that has, I don't know, I, he, he'll tweet me and tell me the real number, but something like 5,000, 6,000 different marketing apps that are out mm-hmm. there. And then how do you not get distracted, especially if you happen to have ADHD and you went into marketing and you're like, oh, look, <laughs> you know, look at that thing. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and mixed with what you said earlier, the fear of, I got to get leads. I'm getting, you know, people are pushing on me, get leads, get leads. And here's something that promises to get some leads. It's going after it, getting distracted and missing the fact that you really got to make sure you nail those, uh, you know, the buyer personas, understanding what's going on and you got to write it out too. Right. I think yeah. a lot of us talk about it, but we haven't written it out. And it's almost like that doesn't count. You know, like yeah. it's not in your CRM. It doesn't count. Yeah, uh, if it's not a buyer persona, if you're whatever you want to call it, but if it's not written out, you didn't actually do it. You know, you had a combo right. that was nice, but you didn't actually do it. That gives me an idea for a new product idea, Casey, about, hey, do- good, about documenting the marketing process. I, I think you're spot on. Is um, in many cases because we're pushed to do so much with so little time, so little resources, marketing budgets, you know, grow, shrink, grow, shrink that oftentimes we don't take the time to go through a proper uh, documentation process, right? We build a marketing plan, but our marketing plans are no longer one-year marketing plans. They're 90-day marketing plans. And oftentimes we put them inside of our tools and we don't actually take the time to document the process. And that's right. something in the product mar- product management um, market. You know, there's various different um, certification authorities, but they all have uh, created these um, processes of properly understanding your market, understanding your competition, understanding what are the things they're doing? What right. is your, you know, what's your demogra- demographics if your B2C look like, or what, you know, how are you going to market your product before the product's even developed? They do yeah. a great job in the pre-product planning process but I, I don't think in marketing, we oftentimes, we just start plugging in social media posts inside of, you know, the social media tool of the week, or we build email right. camp- campaigns directly in the email tool. Whereas I think if we stop just for a minute and take the time to purely document who are we sending this to, uh, what are the key words? What are the key phrases that we're looking for? What are the, what are, what's the message and what job are they mm-hmm. doing and how does the job align to my my email campaign, right? If I'm building out a, 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 you know, an engagement campaign, every email has got to be able to tell that story. It's got to be a continuous story and each email, and, and I'm as guilty as every other marketer. I don't always do that because I don't have the time necessarily. But if I took, you know, a day of just planning this out and looking at the buyer's, you know, the buyer's journey right, and understanding, does this message align with this, buyer persona and because i could create a message and maybe it doesn't align to my buyer persona so i think it's it's always going back to your buyer personas and always making sure are the people inside my list that i'm creating in my email campaign or is the the 
the the people in my Twitter list, you know, that I'm going to go out and blast to all these people out on Twitter, the hashtags I'm using, is it targeting people that are truly aligned against my buyer persona? And I don't think most marketers, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I don't think most marketers take the time to really do that. I think we're just always so quick to just get that email out, right? How many times have you worked with clients who are like, I need to get this email campaign out tomorrow. Well, do you have the content? No, we're going to write it tomorrow. Right? <laughs> Who's it going to? Everybody. Everybody, yeah. Everybody gets an email. You now, get did, email. Speaking, you get speaking email. of everybody though, that, that's interesting, <laughs> right? I saw a couple email authorities out there that said, and I was talking to Andrea inside our organization about this yeah. when I traveled a couple Shout weeks. Shout out. Or, what's up, Andrea? Yeah, what's up, Andrea? Rockstar. Um, that... There's an, uh, they were, they were saying in this article, and I have to find this article and we can reference it later. Yeah, for sure. That the creating segmenting your list actually is becoming an old thing. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think in account based marketing, um, you know, targeting your, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but they were saying mm-hmm. that the data shows that segmentation of email lists, um, actually loses out on potential buyers. Uh, they were saying that if you just, you know, blast it out um, that it does a couple things. It allows you, the people that are never interested in your message to unsubscribe, which gets them out of your buying journey. Sure. But it also potentially could hit somebody that if, it, if they weren't in your target persona, they may actually hear your message and actually may make a referral to somebody else that may, may, may be a potential sure. buyer. But because you didn't send that message to them, it never got to them. Um, so it was, I'll have to try to see if I can find that Love it. Yeah. Controversy, right? Hardcore. So does segmentation really work, Casey? That's the question. That's the question. Huh. Is there enough data to support it or have marketers been doing segmentation wrong, which is why it doesn't work, right? <laughs> that's yeah. That's the other point. Yeah. Hey, we've been segmenting people on title for 20 years and it's not working. Hmm. I've been sending the same email out to 18 to 25 year olds and thinking I'm going to sell this widget. Right. 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 Um, interesting. You know what? I, and I we were talking about this earlier too. If we're, you know, how many is too many and, and really understanding the buyer group. Yeah. Maybe you don't need to separate marketers in New Hampshire versus Massachusetts versus, versus like Delaware or even Texas, you know, um, or if you do, but, um, but if you don't, then you don't need to go ahead and create the extra legwork and the, the planning work. So there is some wisdom to this whole process. And I don't think it can hurt. But as you, you, know, you, you reminded me of even some of the, the strategies on nurture campaigns, right? The idea of the, the three, two, one. A lot of people, when they're sending out emails on that buyer's journey, will have your, your early <laughs> stage content first. And you know, for those listening, there's many different stages, but typically there can be three. You know, it's that awareness stage at the beginning. I don't know there's a problem, but I, and so here we are teaching you that actually there's a problem. You're losing money. You don't even know it. And then that middle stage is now I'm trying to make that decision and understand, are you the right vendor? Uh, you know, am I going to get fired? Um, not, not even that part. Are you the right vendor? Who should I go with? Right. right. And, and they, they're, they're picking, they're choosing your content for that. And then the late stage is, am I going to get fired hiring? You know, here's a case study. It worked for these guys. You'll be great. You'll, you'll be a rock star after working with us. And so typically, if the buyer's journey progresses in that way, people will plan out their nurtures that way, plan out a series of emails to go out, awareness first, this, second. But some people, and maybe this ties into what you're talking about, they, they flip that script and they'll do late stage content first because mm-hmm. people that are later on, they're actually ready to buy. They might be even ready to buy you, 
they don't need this early awareness stuff. Right. What are they going to wait six months to get your buy now type mentality? So you get them the earlier buy stuff at the beginning. You give right. some awareness people like a choose your own adventure, an early out. They can click something else that tells them about the. I didn't know this was a problem. Click here. <laughs> and right. They go and they get the early the coddling and they get the, the early education. But the people that are like, no, I'm ready to go. Let's make a decision. Send me an SOW. Get them that late stage content so they can make a decision. And then the middle stage, and then the early stage at the end. There's all different ways of doing it, but but you're right. It's all about the right message at the right time. Is really why we're here. Yeah. Well, and I, I think sometimes we also ignore our own experiences sometimes with that, right? Like I, as a marketer, uh, I'm sure y- you've been in the same place. You know, I get hundreds of unsolicited emails. What? Uh, that I, I came from some list, right? Yeah. That somebody bought a list, and they send me an email that doesn't mean anything to me. And, right. you know, I immediately unsubscribe. Uh, yep. Sometimes I will, sometimes I will, I'll, I'll keep it because I'm too lazy sometimes to actually I flag spam. I, I take flag- pleasure in spam flagging spam for other marketers. Some, sometimes I do that. And sometimes I'm even worse than that. If I don't see an unsubscribe button, I always send them a link to the canned spam loss. Right? Um, <laughs> is, that, is that passive aggressive marketing coming? Passive aggressive marketer coming through. <laughs> but, um, but I think we have to look at our own experience as a buyer and what do we want to learn about? What do we, how do we want to be educated? And I think everybody else is very similar to us. And I think that when you try to do the same things over and over again with the same result, right, it's the whole chaos, right? Right. And uh, like, you know, um, we we can't create chaos by keep doing the same things over and over again. So we have to stop for a minute and look at our own experiences um, as we're developing these tools and these, you know, marketing campaigns and marketing you know, materials and say, what do I need to learn about that product or service that they haven't provided me right. um, that would be helpful and use that for your same, um, your same marketing efforts. You know, it helps just being a customer and just, just pretending, you know, maybe you are now we're fortunate, um, you know, Cheshire, we work with other marketers, so we are you, right. Yeah. Um, but uh, other people may be marketing something that's, you know, hardcore IT JavaScript helper device that mm-hmm. and you're not a coder, but, you know, it's interesting is the more you can learn about uh, the market, the more you can try to become that person. I remember one time I was working in a PR agency, this is an internship, and uh, this is uh, Casey off the hook. It was about um, Honeywell Safety Products has this really cool paint that glows in the dark. Hmm. And the idea is they put it down low because if there's smoke in the building, you're on your hands and your knees. You're not like looking for the exit sign in the air. So if you right. ever walk go anywhere now and you look at an exit sign, it's in the air, guess what? Yeah. You won't see it when the time comes. It, right. Which is why in airplanes, they have the little lights yeah. on the floor, right? Yeah. So they have this paint so that if it's dark or whatnot, it, it glows in the dark and it shows you the exits, um, but at, at the hands and knees level. So one time I was in this big PR office and I, I said, okay, there's a fire in the building. Um, I said that to myself, but I didn't scream fire. Um, and then I, I got down on my hands and my knees in this cubicle and started crawling, not looking up, trying to figure out where was the exit, right? I, I hadn't looked for it. And so here I am crawling around this office and um, I crawled right by a conference room full of like 12 people in it. <laughs> they, they, all, and they all stopped and they looked out the window and they're like, 
And I'm just what is he crawling doing? on by. And I eventually found the exit. It wasn't very easy. Mm. Um, and, but, and then I used that whole experience to write up a story about, you know, it was like a pitch letter or whatnot. But, but it, it, it was you like... Had, you didn't have a camera on your head during the whole time. Then you yeah, could actually do a GoPro. Vlog, right? <laughs> little GoPro. But it, it just, it helped me understand, wow, this is actually a way bigger deal than I thought it was just because I got into the, the mind of... Now, that was more of a consumer, but businesses would buy that too. And, and uh, yeah, so yeah, learning a little bit more about and I, we've said the stories, but if you can even become that you know, mm. and, you know, spend some, spend some time on a job site or spend some time trying to do a little bit of the craft, you learn more of the vocabulary, you learn more about what they do Yeah, that can help you. So when they are sharing their story, I mean, when you explain someone's story, sometimes they're going to be throwing things at you that don't even make sense. Well, I go yeah. look in this RDP every morning and whatnot. And you're like, Oh, what does that mean? You know, but if you can learn more about your buyer, you can kind of decode some of their cryptic speak yeah i mean if you really look at the cost of of even flying to a client's location for a day and you know waking up going to the airport flying spending an entire day with your customer your prospect understanding what they're doing and getting on the plane and coming back let's say it costs you you know 600 bucks to do that in a day um, no, we including you, donuts. Uh, you got to bring a couple. Yeah, you have to bring the donuts. donuts. You have to take them out to lunch. Uh, I, I'm assuming you know 250 bucks for airfare, so all that other expense. Okay, good. good. Sake at night. Sake you know, at night. Yes. Um, okay. Yes, for sure. <laughs> um, but I think that if you think of it from that perspective, imagine the savings mm. uh, that you would have by either being successful or failing. If you fail. You failed small, right? If you went with the assumption before yeah. you went to your customer site and you realized, my goodness, we are so wrong in our process. We're so wrong in, in, in our assumptions around our target audience. Yeah. And wow, we just saved ourselves, you know, 50,000, 100,000 in marketing investment just for that one thing alone more, right? Um, you know, my, my uh, former, uh, VP of marketing for a software company I work for in Salt Lake City, you know, his, he always used fail fast, fail small, fail often. Right. And, and I used to laugh and I used to say that to people and they're like, great, you're going to make us fail. And I'm like, well, if you know your failures, you'll be able to improve and move forward in your successes. Because if you fail fast, fail, you know, small, then the successes that you're making are going to be a lot bigger because you already failed. You already know what's not working that you can then do the right thing. So I think, Fail small, get in your, get on a plane, get in your car, drive to a customer site, pick up the phone. I think a lot of people are so dependent on email and texting and, and we're so afraid to pick up the phone, um, to get out of email and to get on a plane, to meet with our prospects, to meet with the people that are buying or have already bought our product. Right. And really understand like the people that have bought your product, go to them and ask them why they buy your product. Yeah. And, Right. It's that simple. Why did you buy my product? And then, then understand who uses it day in and day out. And then you go and have those conversations. And while you're there, you may learn something about, wow, this person gets interrupted at the same time every day. I've been here three days now and they're interrupted the same way. Maybe I can do something different in the process of whatever product or service or, or right. way you're marketing to them and really think differently. And, but you, can't, you could have never done that if you stayed put in your chair, in your office, in your cubicle, um, making assumptions. So I would say number one thing don't do in marketing when you're segmenting or building buyer personas, don't make assumptions. Yeah, the assumptions. 
It sounds it sounds like one of the four agreements too, isn't it? I think it is actually. And it good good book. If you haven't heard of it, Jesse told me about this book, and he had to tell me about it for about two months. Uh, but before you actually read it. Well, it got through to me because then after you did it, a couple of the people started saying it too. And I was like, yep, Jesse told me about that. I finally read it and it makes a, Total sense. a lot of sense. And it's yeah. not just on the marketing side, but, um, but there's a lot of things, um, you know, be impeccable with your word. Yeah. Don't take things personal. Don't yeah. make assumptions. And the last one. Uh, man, uh, my brain. <laughs> what is that? I always forget. There's four of them, but I always forget. I what is that last one? I always forget the last one. Um, <laughs> someone's going to be really mad right now, just being triggered right now. They're going to tweet at me, but yeah, that's gonna, fine. You, four agreements you can't remember. But I hey, only read maybe, it once. <laughs> but maybe, maybe that's another thing, right? Uh, simplicity, right? That's not the fourth agreement. But if you really think about, you know, using the four agreements as a way, right? You know, don't overthink your seg- your buyer personas. Don't overthink your market segments. Right? Um, think about it simple. If you if there's too many things, you're going to forget. Just like we just forgot the fourth agreement. You know, I I googled it. Thankfully, it's like Casey. You're not in a campfire here. You can Google this. <laughs> the last one was always do your best. Always do your best. See, there we yeah. go. We should have remembered that one. That's pretty pretty. Yeah. So neither one of us. It's a quick that. read. It's. Yeah, but it's it's fascinating and the thing don't take things personal i mean we could have a whole podcast on that yeah. um, but that comes into play a lot especially if you're sales versus marketing marketing versus mm. sales you've got a large marketing department um or if you're a marketing department of one and everyone's hating on you it's not right. really about you so it, the the ego ego is a huge thing in business too it's also yeah. marketing yeah um, there's so many takeaways that you could take in just personal development i know you're a personal yeah. development guru like me right oh guru thank you guru um <laughs> but you know a lot of those personal development things apply when you're developing your buyer personas right how are right. how are people motivated um, you know, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing in your marketing efforts to motivate people to buy? Right. right. And it's very, it's a lot of the same concepts apply. Yeah. And if you just love people, you love learning about people, what makes them tick, then marketing is just sort of a natural extension to that. Yep. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. You have them in mind, but you're, you know, you're the fail small, fail fast. Sometimes that can get like a cliche. Sometimes in the, in the startup world, people are like, well, don't fail, just do it right. But I think the real key point you brought up and I was thinking in my head, you know, test small mm-hmm. and, and fast. Right. Uh, and if you, and I think but a lot of people if make you it, fail, then be okay with it. If yeah. Right. They, they change that from test small to fail small because the idea is, Hey, you might mm-hmm. test a whole bunch of things and it'll be wrong. But that's okay. At least now, you know, you can stop doing that, you know, yeah. like PPC campaigns. Hey, you know, if you don't have it plugged into marketing automation, you may not know what's actually working. And, yeah. you know, and one example of that, I once uh, had two blogs back to next to each other and same company, two blogs and two different buyer personas. And I didn't write them out for this. So it was like a learning lesson. Uh, but one of the blogs was for more of a tactical lower level technician. And mm. the other blog, um, which was more strategic for the higher level, higher person in the food chain, um, director or above, BP, right? And we spent all the time and attention in the, in the, in the, in the other block, in the small tactician block, and it exploded. Um, and then we didn't even care about the bigger blog. But, and so the small, the, the tactician blog got tons of traffic, but because we plugged into marketing automation and into our CRM, we could see that of all these people we're meeting, none of them turned into business. And I think after a year, one of them did. Right. Um, for like 4K. Um, right. Whereas the other blog, we weren't even paying attention to. That one 
and we were just doing it, you know, on a regular basis, but not really hyping it, uh, not not spending money on it. Just in, you know, team time was doing really well, and it was and it was cranking out leads left and right. And it wasn't until we looked at this and we realized, man, this wasn't you know, this wasn't a fail quickly either. This wasn't fail fast. This was a this was a, a, a extended oops. Uh, right. But it really drove home the point that you got to understand who you're writing to, understand who the decision maker is. And I know that's a, a bigger topic, but I, I love the idea of just getting to know people and understanding. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, uh, you know, your story kind of reminds me of a story of a friend of mine in Salt Lake City. Uh, his name was Ryan Money. Still is Ryan Money. Um, he, wait, he, was wait, a money? he was a founder of a software company, which I, I, won't, uh, I won't say now. And they're a very successful software company. But wait, his um, last name was Money? His last name was Money, yeah. It still is Money. Ryan Money. Great, great intelligent guy. Um, you know, entrepreneur spirit. Just um, extremely intelligent. He, he was a, a co-founder of a company that did... Um, HR type of software, right? And he was telling me that some of their initial, they weren't getting the results that they wanted initially in their marketing efforts and their product efforts. And, um, you know, they realized their failures, right? And everybody always puts their head down and everybody is disappointed when you fail, but he actually held a party. And people were like, why are we having a party? Because we just failed. He says, we did fail. But yeah. what it what it, it taught us a lot of lessons, right? Yeah. And I think being able to step back from your marketing efforts, being able to step back from your product development efforts, a lot of you know, a lot of product management is actually involved in the marketing, you know, organization. Right. And it's being able to step back and really say, all right, yeah, we failed, but we put a lot of effort in that. We worked gr- great as a team. Now let's take those lessons and let's learn. And, and I think going back to the topic of the conversation. Go back to your lessons that what worked, what didn't work. Um, uh, try to find like what sales did you lose? Right. When you're building your buyer persona, find out who didn't buy your product, right? Right. I, and like we have a list of people that that haven't bought our services, right? It's not a huge list, fortunately for us. Our list right. of buyers Tiny. is actually much bigger, right? Tiny, yes. Um, <laughs> but the reality, but the reality is, is that if you understand why people didn't buy. Yeah, it allows you to better understand why people will buy. Yes, and it sometimes go back to the people that didn't buy and ask them why didn't you buy our product or service? Sure, and, and understand. Oh well, it was overpriced, uh, or you know what? I didn't really know enough about it, and I knew more about this other product. Well, what could have we done different in the buying process? Or in, you know, I, I heard once um, from somebody I forget if it was here or in my previous life, um, but about somebody says. I get emails all the time from your competitor, but I get nothing from you. Mm. And, you know, even though we were sending out communicate regular communications to people, he just, or that person wasn't on our list. They weren't part of our persona. And um, so it was interesting that they found us through a referral, um, but we were never marketing to them. Um, Ah. So I think sometimes you need to go back to who, what, who are your failures? Yeah. And use your failures as your as uh, as a indicator of your potential success too. Sure, sure. I mean, something in the system can get adjusted. Yeah, well, it makes a lot of sense. Cool. Yeah, man. So this is the part where we get to put on some face paint. Ah. Oh, not 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 uh, football Brain face art. paint, but camouflage. I'm thinking more like predator face paint. Predator right? under the wire type of stuff. Yeah, just mud on the face. Yeah. So. You've got this awesome product background, and I think some of the thing that um, that people don't understand, or even just that I understand, is that a lot of times when you and, you and I are talking, it's about 
um, a client or something tactical or something, uh, maybe a new product or service we're, we're building at a company, which is fun. But when we really have a blast is when we just start going off a marketing strategy, you know, mm-hmm. and talking about buyers and personalities and things like that. And, uh, and when we start talking about throwing on body armor, holding on to 50 cows. So, so you were in the Coast Guard. Yep. What's interesting is it's a good thing you were, because if you had been in the Army, you would have heard it from me left and right about the Army because you're in the Marine Corps and the Army. But, uh, but, but you can't Guard, swim. That's why you have so much respect for me, right? Oh, you know, the Marines are amphibious. I'll have you. <laughs> that's right. That's uh, what they say. I don't know if I believe that entirely. Oh, <laughs> well, we are. We'll go swimming, you and I. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you're doing a triathlon, so I sure hope you know oh, how to right, swim. Right, right. This is hardcore after all. But uh, yeah. you know what's interesting is, uh, is sometimes you know, the Coast Guard can get some flack, but I think mm-hmm. the majority of us, at least in the Marine Corps, we, we get that oftentimes you guys are get, getting more action than we are. Because yeah. we're just waiting, waiting, wait till they send us somewhere. You guys, you drug interdiction, uh, search and rescue, fisheries enforcement, rescue, enforcement, boarding ships. So, yeah, like, what did you do? Just in a nutshell, I mean, what was your, what was your, what did I do day yeah. in day out? You know, what's cool about the Coast Guard? It's a little different when you're in a large service like the Navy or Army, and yeah. Marines are a little bit smaller, right? Um, you do everything too small. <laughs> well, it's, it's smaller. It's well, we smaller are, than we are the few and the proud. Smaller you're right. than the army. Right. Right. Um, the army is huge. Um, but people always say, what was your MOS? You know, when they're an army person, they always ask what your MOS was, which is essentially your, your job title. And, uh, in the coast guard, you have a job title, but you, you know, you might, I wasn't a cook, but you might be a cook in the coast guard, but after you're done serving or cooking rolls and chicken for the entire team, you're then going out with an M16 and you're boarding a boat that's, you know, <laughs> sus- suspected of uh, smuggling cocaine from Ecuador. Right. Right. Um, so, and then the next minute after that, you know, you come back on board, you might be tying down a helicopter that's landing on the ship because you're part of in, the tie down crew in high and, seas. Yeah. yeah. And high seas. And then, you know, then the next time when you're up in the Alaska, you know, in Bering sea, it's not uncommon for the entire team to have to go out and break ice with baseball bats off the ship. So it's you know, yeah. not top heavy, but my, my day to day, you know, I was based pretty close to where you live. Uh, I was, you know, in uh, Newburyport, Massachusetts and did search and rescue for a while. And then um, I was based out of Honolulu, Hawaii and traveled all over the world. Most people think, you know, uh, in Spanish is, uh, uh, I think what, I think the term is, um, uh, guarda costa, right? Guard the coast. Wow. Yeah. And, um, we, we never, the coast guard does guard the coast, but if uh, the coast guard's area of operation is essentially all over the world, because you might be enforcing UN embargoes one day, uh, uh, next mission, you might be doing fisheries enforcement in Alaska. So I did boarding, you know, I was a boarding officer and went on board and did safety checks of fishing boats. Uh, you run background checks of all the people fishing. You occasionally find somebody that has a warrant for their arrest in one of the lower 50 states when you're in or lower 49. So we did everything. Um, but I did operations. I did intelligence. I did law enforcement. I worked on uh, back in the day. It was HP, UX command and control, uh, systems, radars, um, so, man, you, so you weren't you busy at all is what you're saying. You weren't, I busy, wasn't one. you weren't busy at all. You didn't do much. Never. Yeah. But sometimes in those bigger services, that's exactly what happens, right? Hey, yeah. I deployed to a base where I sat somewhere and did. And I checked nothing email all day. Yeah. yeah and I, we didn't, and have, we didn't have email back then. When I, I, got, was I got really good of, at call of duty. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that's no, cool. I mean, uh, 
Coast Guard's missions are huge. Um, you know, at one point when I was in, which was back in the late 1990s, the New York City Police Department was larger than the entire U.S. Coast Guard, um, which <laughs> most people don't know that. Now it's a little larger because it's under Homeland Security. Sure. But, you know, their their mission, you know, 25 miles out to sea is, you know, what the U.S. territory is. But a Coast Guard cutter can be in the middle of the Atlantic or even off the coast of Spain. And they can still board a vessel if they're out there, you know, conducting a mission. Um, and they, you know, they have agreements with countries uh, to be able to board and, and check for contraband, especially coming in and out of like, you know, the Middle East, for example, out of Iraq during the Persian Gulf sure. War. They did, you know, the oil for food program. Yeah. Coast Guard did missions. So Coast Guard, I love, I still to this day love the Coast Guard. I got many friends that are still in the Coast Guard today. That's awesome. What did you draw from that? Because that's got to, you know, I, I just remember my time in the Marine Corps just changes you so much. I, I still prefer a high and tight for whatever reason. Um, and, not, so, uh, not so much here. Yeah, no, that's fine. But uh, you know, what kind of experiences did you draw from? Because it, I, I definitely hear that a lot of that coming out in the product development and mm-hmm. enforcing people to do the right thing first. You know, yeah. we very well be the willy nilly, you know, agency that just lets you oh you want to walk up a bridge cool that'll be that'll be 20 hours and we'll help you do it we're like right. no we are not going to do that you know we, it's almost like we, we champion for them whether they know it or not and that had to come from somewhere so w- what kind of experience did you draw from yeah you know you warned me that you'd be asking me this question uh, last week and I thought about that, you know, I was thinking about like, what did I, what did I learn while I was in the military that could apply to marketing, right? I, I didn't immediately go into marketing uh, when I got out. I worked at a defense, as a defense contractor working on IT systems Okay. and even started, I, I finished three years of college to get a computer engineering degree that I never mm-hmm. finished and eventually got my bachelor's in business and marketing and then eventually got an MBA. But um so I, I came in the very long path to, to my career. Sure. Um, but I think what the Coast Guard actually helped me do, because you're changing your role, right? You're, you're dynamically having to shift from being a, a radar operator or an operations specialist to then going out on a team with a camera and, con- and collecting intelligence while you're on board a suspected drug trafficking boat coming back, running background checks on people to see if whether or not they're known to be, you know, suspected drug smugglers or uh, just collecting intelligence to, you know, carrying a a gun on your hip to doing search and rescue to, I mean, there's so many things, but I think what it really helped me do was it helped me adapt and be quick and to think that what you see visually, this is especially comes to drug, drug enforcement, what you see visually may not necessarily be reality. Mm. Right. A fishing boat with a, you know, a helicopter doing tuna fishing. They look like a tuna boat, but they're not a tuna boat, right? They are a drug trafficking with cocaine in false voids on the ship, right? Interesting. Um, so you think that they're a tuna boat, but they're not. So any other person that's on the high seas sees this boat, they're thinking that. And I think if you apply that same thought process that you can't always, again, not making assumptions, you can't look at your target market and make the assumption that they are truly what you believe they are. Um, and it's looking at people too, right? I try to look at people and not look at people for what they look like and, right. and what their shell looks like. And, but always look at, there's something bigger and better there right. in the drug drug industry. It's not always bigger and better, but you have to really be methodical and analytical 
and and go through the process of eliminate uh, process of elimination um, in everything that you do. Um, and, and the Coast Guard, I think, taught me the ability to adapt and overcome very quickly. Because if you didn't, um, it was it could be the difference between life and death for both people that you're saving right. uh, or the or the you know yourself if you're doing law enforcement. So. Yeah, that's so, it's so true. You know, the whole judge a book by a cover. Yeah, you saw it too when you were in the Middle East, right? Yeah, for better or worse, that book could be a great book or a horrible book. Right. Uh, that boat, that, that tuna ship may be a tuna ship. It right. Might not be. Right. The, the crappiest looking tuna ship, maybe that is really a tuna ship. Right. You know, or, yeah, but, then but you have not, to collect the details, right? Yeah, you you just can't take it on face value, face value and think that like your lead sources, right? If you use a revenue optimization, uh, you know, service, when we talk to customers, they believe that maybe their lead source that is the most valuable lead source is one particular lead source. Right. But after we uncover and go through the process of elimination and really evaluate and analyze all their lead sources and, and what things, the data doesn't always tell the truth. But most of the times the data is very, very truthful, but it doesn't always tell the entire story. So you have to sometimes go back and say, maybe your lead source isn't the one that you really think it is. You're spending all your money on Facebook ads, right? Maybe that's not what truly, so attribution comes into play, right? We're going to talk about that, you know, in a few months, right? Right. Um, So I think if, you know, if you use military analogy, I think What's really different about a military, like that's why I think hiring military people is great. Um, military people come with skills that are very different from civilians, right? Not oh, saying yeah. that civilians don't have the ability to adapt, but they're very different because you have to think differently when you're in the military. You have to think on your toes. They teach you that in boot camp, right? I mean, you're always thinking on your toes and you're running and, you know, always like doing the next thing and you don't have a chance yeah. to think. You just have yeah. to do you have to sometimes take yeah. action, I guess, is maybe yeah. the one that we talk. Yeah. We probably learn that the most. Just take some freaking action for once and start overthinking things. Just decide. Yeah. Decide and then fail, fail fast, fail small. Right? Fail small. But you got to yeah. make that decision. This is the whole, the whole you know, quote about perfect plan three months from now or a decent plan right now. Right. Now, plan right now will win because you're going to start doing something. Um, but you know what? The, Tying all that in, you mentioned that, you know, the judging by, by not just taking the data for what it is. It reminded me, I was once working with this um, large internal agency and uh, uh, some grand poobah who drove a really nice car. um, And uh, he said, hey, uh, the the data says um, marketing because we were running marketing agency for them. and, And okay, the data says that the leads that come in from PPC are absolute garbage. Horse shit, like the worst. <laughs> Meanwhile, the data that uh, the the leads that come in from your website itself, the organic website, are amazing, and they close faster, they close more often, they close, close, close. Now, the details behind this is we were working on their PPC landing pages, mm. and, and they were really sweet. And one of the things you'll you'll know is that, and you know this, it, the the least amount of fields you have, the, the more the conversion rate occurs. So you yeah. get more leads from asking less questions. Ask anyone too many questions, they're they're out. So we had these really efficient, we had tested these really efficient landing pages, and we're spending lots of buku big company dollars on driving people leads to these landing pages. They're filling them out like great, and then to hear that no, actually the leads to the website itself were better. It was curious because 
if you went and looked at the forms over there, they were had more data. Yeah, had more fields. Yeah, yeah, and someone else controlled those, and we're like, yeah. what? Um, and it, it, way more fields, like stupid more fields, mm-hmm. like twenty two fields versus four. Right. No one fills those out, but people that did, they and this guy was like, you know what? Maybe we should change our PPC forms to have twenty two questions as well. Right. Like that was that was his answer to what the data was saying, and it. It boggles my mind. Sometimes it's just that gut feel that says, "That seems crazy." And I and I get coached to make sure you you stay in a, you know a spirit of curiosity, don't mm-hmm. just like get mad about it. But I was like, "That sounds so crazy, stupid, crazy." Yeah. But you know what I did? I actually went and I hung out with the sales team because these leads would get gobbled up by this whole floor of recent college grads that would just pound the phones calling these leads and they would talk to them. So I just, I went and sat with them, hung out and uh, they're really cool guys. And they were just, you know, and I was watching on their homemade CRM, what they were doing and conversation to your point about the story. This wasn't the full story, but the user story. I was asking them, tell me about these leads, you know, tell me about what are your favorite? What do you like from here and there? And they were just, they were sharing that uh, they didn't really like the PPC leads and, and guess what they didn't know. They didn't know that the forms were smaller for people. Mm. They thought everyone was given the opportunity to fill and out. Fill it out. So they right. weren't as they weren't as interested in the yeah. product. They made the assumption in the sales team, and there was, you know, like I said, fast assumption that the people that came in through PPC or they didn't even know they came in through PPC. All they knew is right. these only filled out eight fields or four fields. They're not really that serious. They're about not it. a good lead. Right. Meanwhile, these other, the fewer people that filled out this gigantic form, they must be it. And so what they would do, they would cherry pick those and they would let the PPC ones die and maybe mm. go back to them if they had time. So the ones we we're actually spending money on weren't getting attention. And the ones that we got for free were getting all the attention. So that's why the website had a higher conversion. Yeah. It, wow. Of course, of course those would convert faster. They yeah. would convert more <laughs> and they, they'd do better on all the stats is because no one told sales that there was an option. And so they, mm. they, had, they were self-selecting that direction. And it just, it was like, as soon as that happened, you know, the discovery was made, we were able to sort things out quickly so that they all understood and we were able to change some process around. But that was one of those, you know, imagine if we had changed up everything and ooh, ooh, it's right. like there's a story behind the data. It's not just the data. It's that user story you're talking about. Right, right, right. That's interesting. That's a cool story. Yeah. Almost That's as cool, cool as boarding a fishing vessel. And, uh, and I think you were telling me there's, there's some weird places. So like, if I'm looking to hide my baking soda, where, where are people hiding this on these fishing? A lot of times, I mean, they get more and more creative all the time. It's been a while since I've been in, so I'm sure, uh, smuggling techniques change, but you know, you, you read articles about cars coming across the Southern border with, you know, gas tanks full of, you know, full of marijuana or cocaine and, um, different false, you know, false engine like they take like you know the distributor cap off right and pack it full of stuff right ships are no different they uh they have false voids because nobody's going to climb down into a tank full of 
you know, diesel fuel yeah. uh, to go look for cocaine. So, right. you know, many times those kind of boats, they've got to take them into port. They have to have some suspicion that they were doing something, but they have to take them to port, empty out the gas tanks, go down into gas tanks. And they have special tactical teams, you know, Jeez. based all over the country that go to do those things. And they will find contraband in places that should not be. It's no different than, you know, going, uh, the ships coming into to ports with human trafficking, right? right? You know, they come into container ships and they, they hide people where, however they can, because of, you know, human smuggling is just as terrible. Um, so, you know, their coast guard, man, they, they do such an amazing mi- mission. And then you add Homeland security to that now too. Um, you know, a lot of people, they don't realize the extent of, of, you know, all the th- missions that they do every single day. Right. Right. Yeah. Matt Some cool stuff though. Forward. Yeah. Lots of stories. Good beer stories, I'm sure. Yes, for sure. <laughs> Endless ones. Yes, so. for sure. Well, cool, man. If you look at the clock, we are just cranking through. I don't I know. know if you had any, any parting shots on uh, on segmentation. <laughs> uh, one of the takeaways I had, you know, to give you a second here, was this whole buyer vision quest, you know? Like, if, if everyone listening could go, you know, just make a trip, find your one of your best customers or a new customer, and make a buyer vision quest. You say, Hey, I'm going to come visit. I just want to hang out. Uh, I'll, I'll help out. Like I'll bring food. You're all set. Just do your thing. I just want to understand how I can help you better. Uh, whatever the best explanation would be and just go do the, the research, you know, don't make the assumptions and actually get on that, get on that fishing vessel. Yeah. I think for me, that's certainly one, um, you know, uh, it could, that could benefit companies in more than one way, right? They could go on to an existing customer and then get a testimonial out of it, right? Yeah. Um, out oh, of the same yeah. conversation. But I think it's also equally important to, to go to back to the people that you didn't convert, the ones that you didn't sell, mm. uh, sell to, because, you know, you will learn just as much, if not more, about your marketing process and your buyer personas by the people you did not sell to right. as you did to the people you did sell to. So, you know, being, be willing to pick up the phone, get off email, get off social texting for our, for one day and right. actually talk to people. Most people these days struggle with actually picking up the phone and talking to people. Um, so I would say, don't be afraid, do it. It will pay off in dividends long-term by, by having those conversations. And by talking to people you lost, you might just get a new customer. Yes. Buyers are people too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hey man, thanks again for joining. We're going to have to have you come back on. You sounded great. Killer microphone. And uh, we got a lot of stories and I have to go right up some notes on. So thanks yeah, yeah. again. No problem. Thanks, Casey. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, thanks, everyone. Number two. Let's go on to number three. I'll see you there. Take care, everyone. Bye.